2: Hello, I'm Scott Soschnick. and I'm Evan Novi Williams and you're listening to the Hall of Fame Lacrosse Career podcast, this podcast.
1: <laughs> I thought he was going to go with the retirement Edition and like let people think, wait a minute, we, we just started. Are we done already? Are you ready for retirement,
0: Evan? I didn't know what the (laughs) angle was going to be. I've spent so much time with you all and love you both for the work that you do. And I'm just going to let this thing fly. There was no back and forth. Hey, what are we going to talk about? I trust you. So let's do this.
1: (laughs) Well, that's the voice of Paul Rabel, by the way, if you don't know. Uh, What I see all over the place, like little goats, goat icons, lacrosse goat. But Paul, yeah, we've been dealing with each other for a long time. And we'll, we'll delve into that. But earlier this week, a big day for you. Uh, thank you, by the way, for inviting me down to Audi Field in D.C. Um, normally, I appreciate a front row seat. But, uh, you know, when you've got sunshine and heat like that, man, there was some real schwitz going on. I could have used a shady seat in the back, but it was ju- oh, I, just fine.
0: I mean, when I lived on the East Coast, you, you reach the middle of September. It, the hottest it gets is in the 70s. And, that, and now we're sitting in, in 90, 93 degree heat and 100 percent community index, but I appreciate you coming, man. It was a, uh, it was a special moment. It still feels a little bit surreal. I was catching up with a few friends this morning. Uh, it hasn't quite hit me yet. And I think largely because, um, and I'm, I'm sorry for jumping right into it, my, my day-to-day doesn't change. I think I'm just getting a lot of time spent on the field back to redirect to my personal life, which has been non-existent.
1: Right. Well, people have been saying congratulations do you feel like it's a congratulations? Is that is that the right thing to say? I mean, I said it to you and, you know, great career and and all that. But how do you feel? I know it wasn't easy, but is that the right thing to say?
0: Uh, anything's the right thing to say. You know, I, I think as a, as a person, an athlete in this position, and I was able to talk to a, a few athletes in lacrosse and outside of lacrosse that have luckily been at the position in their career to make a decision on retiring and most athletes unfortunately don't get that decision and they may retire but it's really subsequent to being cut or traded or you know the off season not looking very bright um and i you know was in a place for most of my career where i was so fiercely competitive that i was committed to being dragged off the field and if I could play till I was forty, I was going to do that. And then, as you know, kind of the, the business cells in me began to multiply. And you know, starting the PLL, which I never had planned as a professional three years ago, my priorities began to bifurcate, and that made the decision complex. I had a pretty bad first two seasons to my standards as a player and co-founder. And part of me heading into this third season under the PLL roof was, uh, you know, was hey, I'm going to give up some of my responsibilities in the office, and um, I'm going to have some of our great executives shoulder that, and I'm going to go back to work as a player, and this might be my last, but I'm going to kick ass on the field, and like feel that again, Um, and and I did, and the challenge Scott was like, all right. I, I still got it. Should I keep playing? But I, then I fell back and where we are in this crossroads in our career. So it was a complex decision. Congratulations is uh, amazing to receive. Um, but any other words of advice I'm open to and, um, and my, my high school coach who's been a mentor of mine for now close to 20 years, he, he was very direct with me. He was like, it's gonna hurt. Um, you're gonna miss the game and you're gonna feel some regret for the next two years. <laughs> like very poignant advice on a timeline.
1: Two years, Evan. Mark it down. Two years from now I'll say, Hey, how have you come to grips with it?
2: <laughs> Knowing how competitive you are, Paul, on the field, is that the thing that you think is going to be the hardest thing to replace? I mean, you're obviously still deeply involved in the game. You're not leaving the cross in any capacity, but but how do you replace the the one thing that that being the player kind of satisfied for you day in and day out?
0: Competitiveness makes its way into the boardroom, makes its way into business, uh, and serves us quite well. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to two guys that, that are doing it now. Um, and, uh, and both of you have that competitive gene, and, and you're able to apply that to things that matter most to you. I love that. And we try to, we try to hire people with that competitive ferocity. What, what I'm going to miss the most are, is what you can't replace, and that's the raw passion of huddles, You know, I I talked about it in my speech yesterday, and those huddles are in the locker room before the game, after a goal is scored on the field, after you're scored against and you huddle up halftime, post game huddles, like there's a sense of, of camaraderie, but also do or die and a test of resilience. And in sports different than life, which life is about compromise and complexities of grays. Like in sports, it's so binary. You either win or you lose and you're either going to respond or you're going to keep losing or you turn the whole thing around. And it's, it's why I think there are a hundred million plus casual sports fans in the U S is like, we can get away from the complexities of compromise in life and sit down for two hours and watch something that we know there's going to be outcome that we either believed in, or in some cases bet on and won or lost. I'll miss that the most. You know
1: what part got me, Paul? Yeah, well, all right. Well, you know what, what got me? And as you know, I am the father to a very competitive ice hockey player. You, you've met my son. Uh, he doesn't want to lose anything. You know, he'll throw the ball. If I drop it, you win. You know, he, he'll, he'll compete on anything. But you talked about this gained perspective over time how you understood it can't just be your identity. Can't just be the athlete and the, on the field and the win and the loss. But the part that resonated with me, and I don't know if I ever want to push my son to this point, And if it means he can't be great, he can't be great. You said, had you had that perspective earlier in your life, you wouldn't have achieved what you did on the field. Is is that good? Or is that bad? Or it just is what it is.
0: It's risky. It's risky, man. I, I was, uh, Well, that that call out in my speech was in 2014. I was 28 years old and I just had enough. It got worse and worse as I became a professional. There's a ton of talk in our industry about the race to be drafted. And then once someone turns pro, all the glitz, glamour, commercialization, hype, all that stuff is to be managed by them. And even the teams that are around them from their agencies their managers their pr groups their job is to continue to propel and say yes and how we can support and it's um it's a celebrity death match like it, it's 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 worrisome it's why there were so many conversations about athletes going broke and what's this athlete going to do after they retire it's a huge like huge shift that happens um and i was you know that 2014 moment of losing a world championship and then breaking my foot the next week Um, that, that was the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. But every week over those last three years leading up to that, I was just in my own head all the time, overanalyzing performances, wins and losses. And it was depressing. It's hard to get out of. Uh, but that was also the fuel that I used to be as cutthroat as I was on the field. And that helped me achieve what I did. And so I can't go back and, and honestly say that if I had, a more, you know, well-rounded perspective that I wouldn't have been the all-time leading points getter in lacrosse. I don't think I would have. There's one sports psychologist that says he thinks that he that he could find that solution. I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I, I'm dubious if that, if that's a possibility. But we are chatting with, and um, I hate to do this to you, former lacrosse player Paul Rabel, <laughs> co-founder oh, of I the PLL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming off of that, like former... Yeah, this is where you take a sip of your smoothie and regroup. <laughs> but we, we all know that you, you're co-founder of an upstart league. Your brother is the CEO, Mike Rabel. And I ask you, is it... I mean, it's exciting enough if, for the endeavor just to do it. But to do it at this time, kind of we have COVID, where everything is being accelerated, where tech is pushing. Like it's It's not evolution. It's not revolution. Just everything is so sped up. And I know how your brain works. You've got a thousand ideas written in your pad that you carry around all the time. I know you do. How much more on the business side can you really lean into now that you don't have to practice, maybe don't have to work out quite as much, don't have to worry about the games that you can give? eh, I'll give it 98% of your focus on this league on the business side.
0: Uh, I think where I'm going to be more dangerous now is that there will be fewer of those ideas that I have in my notepad that slip or just run against time. Um, we're in a very opportunistic position. And, you know, our first investor, which was Rain Ventures, they were very forthcoming when we launched the league that they wouldn't have invested 10 years ago. It's the benefit of social internet, new technology and more recently even following our announcement has been the evolution of sports betting in the U S so it's a great opportunity. There's low hanging fruit and there's, and there's like really kind of up in the air um, moments that, that new leagues can take advantage of and then timeliness of what we were able to do during COVID to be one of the first leagues out and, and kind of gather a lot of that casual sports fan interest back when we were able to, to play live on NBC and NBC sports. Um, I think for me, the, uh, the interesting thing is that I have been full time really in both. So some of the time that I'm getting back is going to be allocated toward my personal life and, and trying to get my feet on the ground again, which, uh, to be honest, like I've, I've struggled with over the last, um, three years in particular, four years. Um, and, uh, and then f- probably fewer, uh, like I said, fewer, uh, uh ideas falling through the cracks.
2: Paul, to take a step back for a second, you were drafted number one overall in 2008 um, in the outdoor league at the time. The sport professionally has changed so much financially for players, et cetera, since you broke into professional lacrosse, you obviously have played a large role in that. I'm curious if you can compare kind of what the experience was like for you as the number one draft pick in 2008 and what the experience is like in 2022 for whoever it is that gets picked number one overall in the PLL next year.
0: Uh, sure. So the the draft, I, I wasn't at my the, the college draft um, because it, they ran it conflicting with the Tourton ceremony, which is essentially the Heisman Trophy for college lacrosse players. Um, there was just always it always just felt like the pro league at the time was disorganized. Like why are you hosting the college draft, which, you know, predictably is going to include the five candidates for the Tourton Trophy at the same time. Uh, so I wasn't there to uh, walk on stage. The other difference was, uh, it wasn't even live streamed at the time. Um, and our college draft now doesn't conflict with the tour ceremony. Um, and it is broadcasted live on television, uh, in the past, uh, three years I've been on NBC sports. Um, and then the difference from the player experience is I had a job in commercial real estate. Cause I knew that my wage in the MLL was going to be 6,000 bucks. Um, <laughs> players now that want to get drafted are going to be full time and, and go and commit grant aim For example, full time right out of the gates gets paid quadruple that wage plus bonus incentives, stock options in the PLL and his healthcare taken care of, which I had to come out of pocket when I left my real estate job because I got an under armor endorsement. Um, But now the last thing I'll say is like players are doing watch parties and we sent a camera out to a couple of groups, uh, to show them anticipating getting drafted in the first round that mirrors what you see in the major sports leagues. So great question, like huge differences that come top of mind.
2: And when you think about, I'm curious how much you think about your own legacy and how you balance kind of what's more important to you, the obviously impressive legacy you have as a player and then the legacy that I guess you'll continue to build moving forward as a, League
0: executive, yeah, I think I, th- I think more about impact and ingenuity than than legacy. I, I think legacy. Um, while I'm I'm in, like incredibly humbled to uh, even have these conversations about legacy. I think they're like obituaries, um, and it's not me to to say it. it. Just like it's not you know the the person who has you know entered. Her his new life to say. Um,
1: hold on, I'm going to jump I in. About- Paul, since you said obituaries, hold on, hold on. I, I got to jump in here because we play this game in the newsroom, and I don't know if people know this, but I mean, I think many do that we pre-write obituaries, right? News organizations have obituaries ready, and th- and they are you know updated, particularly if you're older or sick. You know, you are neither. Um, <laughs> they should probably get mine ready. But it, the game <laughs> That's we the same play in is the dark between, turn. Yeah, the, I'm I'm curious. The game we play is called Between the Commas. For the obituary, Paul Rabel, comma, and then there's a graph, comma, you know. So right now, do me a favor and fill in what you think the between the commas should be, or what would you like it to be?
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, because you guys got me at a pretty good time, right? So the morning after, roughly into the afternoon of my uh, retirement day, I took the you know friends and family who came out to dinner. It was a pretty long night. Um, feeling a little bit vulnerable and open. I'll tell you you all what, like, there's there's one person that I think is so dynamic that's crossed over sport to entertainment and business and major media, um, and everyone's going to roll their eyes because it's like a, a, a new founder coming in and saying, I want to be the Uber of or the Airbnb of. But um, whatever, whatever Dwayne Johnson is, drinks and eats in the morning to (laughs) motor his way through everything that he's done and the impact that that person's done. Um, that's, that's what I want to do. And, uh, he's leaning into XFL. Now I got a faster start on the sport that matters most to me in the PLL, but, um, those thousands, thousands of ideas got the alluded to in my journal. Some of them are in and outside of the sport. Um, so I want to take a, an early look into what between the commas is for Dwayne Johnson. And if I could get, you know, 25% of that or 50%, then that would be my answer.
1: So if he's the rock, are you like the pebble right now? Like there's still more to do.
0: <laughs> I, I, is, is, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, that's
1: awesome. I'm happy to be Hey, Eben, you know, you know, the first... You know, the first time I saw that journal, Evan, and this doesn't happen often, but the first time Paul and I met, and shout out to Meredith Geisler, who was also there at your retirement ceremony. She introduced us. Yeah, she introduced us. So I was down in Philadelphia when he was playing for the Wings, and we went to lunch. And the curiosity was evident, because I remember the lead to the story. I remember I wrote something, was, I think I believe it was, the face of lacrosse is obscured by a hat tugged down low, adorned with the logo of Red Bull, one of Paul Rabel's you know, ex-sponsors. I I think that's what it was. But do you do this for everybody or should I flatter myself here? You were taking notes during our conversation. I was taking notes because I had to capture what you were saying. But you, too, were taking notes based on our conversation. When did you learn that? Who taught you to do that? Because I was impressed. You were, I believe, like at the time, the only athlete that ever really took notes during our, our conversation.
0: Yeah, I remember that moment with pride because you shared that with me afterward. You're the only athlete I've ever sat with, and I know who you've sat with that's bringing notepad. Uh, And that's how my mind works. Um, You know, I grew up with learning differences, so I I process differently than I think most do, but it's become a gift rather than uh, a challenge. And I think about a learning experience holistically I hear, I write, and then I tell. Um, a lot of people don't do step three. Most people intellectually engaged do step one and two. But then when you have the ability to, to go teach or run through what you just learned, that completes the learning cycle. Um, so sometimes I'm writing. I have a notepad with me because ideas come to mind from a conversation like many of them did with us. And the others is just like part of my process and staying engaged. Uh, I didn't start carrying a journal around with me until my mid 20s. But the phase before that was always, uh, I just, I my dad is a 35-year paper salesman and, uh, and my brother is an entrepreneur and I've always learned from them the importance of building a network but not building a, a network for personal gains, building a network to learn. And uh, early on when I was in my you know, early twenties, I would keep a word doc of people's names that I met and their emails if I got it. And I would just try to shoot them an email, uh, you know, once a quarter and just say hello. And then that shifted to personal, uh, handwritten notes. And, um, and then, you know, everything continues to evolve differently, but
1: and these uh, are journalism time, tricks that you're, that yeah, you're talking here. True. Yeah. This is what, <laughs> this know, is I, what I do. I check I'm, in with people pretty, all the time.
0: Yeah, you're you're great at it, and I would say that I'm pretty abstract. Like one of the one of the toasts that were given last night was from um, my business partner, and he's the VP of Growth at the PL. His name's Mick Davis, and he was recalling the first time we met at a Starbucks to uh, to potentially get into business together around the event company we started called Rabel Events. And we both had our notepads there, and we were prepared to learn about each other and if we were going to find you know founder fit. And he recalls his notepad looks more like an Excel sheet. Cause he's, he's an operator, an incredible operator. Boom, 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 boom. And he was like, I looked at Paul's notepad and there were like bubbles and arrows and like triple underlines. And I was like, who is this, a meeting with a therapist or like a business person, <laughs> but, uh, not yeah. mutually
1: exclusive, yeah. my friend.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. That's right
1: because i'm with you by the way edmund also does these nice gifts but he like melts his own wax to seal envelopes and he carves into wood he he burns wood I mean, he does the real deal
0: that's great
2: paul i'm curious if we could look through those pages looking forward i think scott and i both know you well enough to know that the pll is not going to be the only thing you dive into uh, now that you're no longer playing what particularly interests you is it production is it media is it something totally different is it a different sport what can we expect to see paul rabel getting into in the next five years
0: storytelling storytelling it's it's something that's always been important to me um but now what i've gotten is the the the, the non-conflicting capability to unlock storytelling about other players in the league and uh the sport as a whole and the history of the sport um i am ex- i'm a lot uh, I'm very excited to spend less time thinking about my story, um, which was how I really got here and in, in leveraging social media to tell your story through the avenue of lacrosse and then build the PLL through your and your brother's story. Um, and that's equipped me with a, a, a skill set and a knowledge set of new media. I've been uh, fortunate to be heavily privy to linear media through the last three years with their NBC partnership, and then over that time as well, get exposure to entertainment, and Hollywood, and uh, and proper storytelling through uh, major motion pictures or, or documentaries or docu-series. Um, and we hear a lot about the Netflix effect, whether it's F1 or Queen's Gambit onto chess sales. Um, and whether that's Netflix or name your streaming platform with 25 million plus subscribers, um, the stories beyond the field in our case are the ones that can uptick, you know, major traction into those 100 million casual sports fans in the U.S.
1: I'm amazed that it took this long for people to really catch on because if remember the MTV show Cribs. Oh yeah. I don't even know if you're old enough, Eben, you know, he's just a baby. Um, people wanted to humanize. It would Take me behind the scenes. Take me what athletes are doing off the field, off. And now with the ability to scale through tech and, and the delivery streams, they can do it themselves. You can help them do it. But I think you mentioned Dwayne Johnson and, and how you hope you can achieve even a quarter of what he's doing. He understands grand entertainment, of course, wrestling, um, the, uh, movie, blockbuster. But I think through the XFL, he's going to try and achieve the same thing you are. Storytelling of athletes bring us closer entertainment value, technology, uh, and he'll do the same thing that you're doing with the PLL right now.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, the amazing thing about the art of storytelling is that you can use it for, for good and, and you can tell not only – Important stories in our case. Like I said yesterday, I, I, my greatest honor is to have gotten to play the Native American game and build relationships on the nations across the U.S. and learn about lacrosse in its original state, not the secular version we play today. It's called the Hunkpapa. And lacrosse, for example, has been largely associated with elite Northeast preparatory school sports, but it's but it's actually a Native American game. And how do you get there? You, you get there through the, the appropriate channels of storytelling. And and that's just one example. Um, you know, other examples that we hear and we're see it, it today, um, you know, whether you want to learn about mental health or, or learn about education and healthcare, um, whether it's Apple TV or Amazon, like they're, they're, they're creating anthologies around this stuff. That's, you know, headlined by some of the top actors in the world. and, and, that's the narrative for good and it's so big like the way that you can impact culture we it's attention and and we as as people trade on connection and attention
2: paul i wanted to save this for the end but did want to make sure i asked you some people have called you the michael jordan of lacrosse michael jordan retired and then decided afterwards that he was uh, had a little bit left in the tank in a percentage, how, how, how far from, from zero to a hundred percent is this retirement? Any chance that we see you in a, in a helmet and a stick again in the future?
0: I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's a unique one because sport, (laughs) sport, I'll say, man, is like, it's the only industry that, that puts so much definition around an athlete needing a break, you know? And so like, no one can take breaks in sports. You're going to retire. Mm. Um, just look at Gronk, for example. Like, he needed a break. His body was injured, and he came back, and he's playing well. Um, this, this retirement is definitive, but I will say, like, decisions are really hard. And one of the things that made this decision less hard was just what I normally do about anything in life. I, I challenge the status quo. I, I think about it intellectually, and like why is this so hard? Well, cause retiring in sport is so definitive. Why? Like we all take breaks from life and like I needed a break and and I also have something that is more important to me right now to run on. Um, so anyway, challenge the status quo for those that are listening. Um, is there a, a likelihood that I come back? I would say it's, it's, it's under 5% if I'm just being direct. Um, and I think any athlete that retires and doesn't say that, they probably held on too long. Um, and, and so that makes it more definitive. I, I've got some wheels in me, but uh, I don't plan on accessing that sub 5%.
1: Yeah, we all have the wheels. He just doesn't have the air and the tires. That's all I'm going to say right now. Yeah. Come on. Come on. You We're clunking along on that season.
0: wagon. We watch the games this season. I was happy to <laughs> I, Well, yeah,
1: what I said to you is like the last time we talked lacrosse, and I don't know anything about this, but I'm like, you seem to be shooting a lot from far away. You get a lot of these two-point goals. You yeah. I was like, you don't to want do to go – you were like, you should play <laughs> just stay on the, yeah, but stay on the outside. You don't have to get beat up. Stay on the outside and shoot from far. Like that's, you know, that's when, that's how you finish it up. Paul, sometimes I'm going to, we, we put polls on Twitter and I'm going to do this along with a picture because you're going to have to defend yourself. I, knowing it was going to be hot and sweaty, wore my, you know, just a regular old collared shirt and shorts. You, sir, had a fine looking suit. However, you had this tight ankle thing, these loafers and uh, no socks. I can't defend the no socks look. So I'm going to put this on the picture that you had. I'm going to put it on Twitter and let's finish it up. Defend the no socks in 20 seconds or less.
0: Well, it's, it's just a fashion sense, man. I, I don't have to defend my fashion to you, Scott, nor do I plan on doing <laughs> Certainly <such>. not. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a hot day, but... You
2: Knowing know. both of you, the idea that Scott would pretend to be more fashionable than Paul is one of the funniest things that's happened on this podcast, <laughs> I think, since we launched it about a year ago. I'm All just saying. All
1: right, because <laughs> God knows I yeah, when it comes to haberdashery, I am far down on the list. He is Paul Rabel. We thank him very much. The other guy is Eben Novi-Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Sasnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves me to remind you that the show is at Sporticast, which is the hub of what will very soon become the Sportico Podcast Network. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind.